chapter 1. <clears throat> Very familiar portion of scripture. You probably have read it several times. I heard it preached about several times. I'd like to start out saying, you know, as men, you know, we'd like to have a job that we would enjoy doing all the time. We would like to earn more money than we could spend on the things that we desire and be able to take off work at any point and go and do anything we want to do at the spur of the moment. That's, whoa, whoa, there's your dream job there, you know. A lot of times that's a, being a, we think of being a professional athlete, but I'm guessing that that's not all it's cracked up to be either. This is what we would call the carefree and problem-free lifestyle. Problem is, there's no such thing as carefree and problem-free in this life. Women seek for their prince to ride by, swoop her off her feet, to be proposed to with one knee onto the ground, to be married and to be taken to her castle with unlimited resources whereby she would raise wonderful little children and live happily ever after. Oh, problems is the storms of life come rolling in on a regular, well, kind of an irregular, but constant basis. Humanly speaking, we look at these as the enemies of our life. They disrupt our quest for the perfect, complete, and overflowing life that we strive for. Amazingly, as it may sound, God has provided a way for us to have that perfect life here on earth. A life complete in every aspect and so full that you can't stomach even one more bite of blessing. Here's the strange part of it. God does not take the trials away to give us life. He produces trials as the means to produce in us a perfectly satisfied life. Now this message is deep, folks. Okay? But it's understandable. And I hope you catch on uh, to it. Working my computer a little bit here so it doesn't work me. Let's look at James 1 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. This morning we'll be looking at three different storms in scripture. With each storm we will see God working on, in, and through the believer. And with that in mind, I'm going to entitle the message, The Storms of Life Are Good. Let's pray. Father, is I attempt to give the message that you've given me to give to this people, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak it, that you'd come down from on high and you'd work in the hearts of people, that they'd be caught away in the Spirit, to say I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and God spoke to me. And then I pray that in the speaking, Lord, that they would be helped, and that they would be directed, and that they would grow in their Christian life. And if there's one that isn't saved, Lord, would they humble themselves and be saved. And I ask this all 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James 1, verse 1, gives us the address of which our text, of, of who the text is spoken to. James 1, 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. The book of James is written to Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad and were facing persecution. Right from the start in the letter, he tells them that their trials of affliction is a process to spiritual maturity. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. These were people in the midst of a storm in their life, and this is the advice given to them. The word count in verse 2 means to hold a view, to have an opinion, or to consider. The word temptations in verse 2 means testings or trials. The word perfect in verse 4 means completion or maturity. You know, when a Christian goes through a season of testing, he has the choice to either draw close to God or go farther away from him. And we see that quite common. Our natural response to trials is to question God and bewail our misfortune. I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're probably a little bit like me. You start to bewail a little bit about things. I hope you'll see a little more clearly what God's trying to teach us. Now, we will clearly see this in the first storm of our message. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read through this, this book this morning. This will be our first point. We may be a little long this morning, folks, so hang on. Hang on to the boat. You'll, you'll understand that a little bit later here. The first point of this message bears the message that God will use storms or trials to work on us. To work on us. Jonah 1.1, Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah had an attitude. Perhaps he had his reasonings. Maybe he had first-hand knowledge of the cruelty of those in Nineveh. Perhaps his own family was cruelly slain, maybe before his very eyes. I don't know. Who knows? But one thing we know about Jonah was he was not going to Nineveh. Jonah had an attitude. And we will see that God will need to work on Jonah. Verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likened to be broken. Then the mariners, and I, I enjoy the mariners in this story, were afraid, and cried every man unto his little g, little o, little d, God. This identifies him as a heathen group of men, 
by the way. They were religious, but lost. And they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and he was fast asleep. He's sleeping through the middle of this thing. You know, there's a lot of different things that could be said about Jonah sleeping here. How could Jonah sleep in the midst of the storm? (laughs) I'd like to bring out the thought that Jonah was secure in his salvation. Later, in the belly of fish, he admits he knew, knew where he was going when he died. In the next boat story, there's another sleeper in the boat amid a great storm. It would be Jesus himself. He is security. Verse 6, so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call up thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and there, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew. I fear, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Jonah identifies himself and acknowledges that he fears the one and only God of heaven, which made the sea, which they were in, and the dry land. He knew who had control of the sea, And why? But like a stubborn two-year-old, and there's a message in here for you guys raising little children here. You look at God's process through this. But like a stubborn two-year-old, he would rather force God's hand of correction than submit to him. He was a hardened, disobedient prophet. Verse 10, Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and they said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. It's kind of like you didn't care I'll, I'll take care of you this is my problem but just cast me cast me over i just, just i'll die and that's take care of things nevertheless the men rode hard to bring it to the land but they could not for the sea rot god was making that sea rot they weren't going to make it to land god had a plan here and it was tempestuous against them wherefore they cried unto the lord and said we beseech thee o lord We beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. These mariners, lost as they were, were very compassionate toward a man who would bring on such trouble upon him. A lot of men just say, let's get him, toss him on over. They did everything in their power not to have to cast Jonah overboard and were totally distressed at throwing a man overboard. These heathen men had more character than Jonah at this point. Verse 15, so they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. We see here how these men 
came to the knowledge of the Savior. Even among Jonah's disobedience, God through an awful storm brings salvation to these mariners. These sailors would know firsthand how wonderful this storm was. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, verse 17, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah is getting a time out from God. Or should I say a time in? A time inside the belly of a great fish. Chapter 1 begins with disobedience. God brings a storm, which ends up with Jonah in the chastening hand of God. Because he loves him. God chastens who he loves. Continuing in chapter 2, we see the breaking of the will of Jonah. Jonah 2.1 Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. And I was, you know, I had the thought of how this fish swallowed Jonah, and I think, you know, was he like a big bass, you know? They threw him up, you know? Or maybe when he just hit the hit the water, you know, got him. But it seems here he went down into the deep. Here comes the fish. He said, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Familiar words, sounds, reminds me of David. He knew where he was going. He trusted Christ. He knew what his end was. He'd see his holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul the depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. And I highlighted this next verse. This is a preaching verse. If you get a little preach in you, you'll come across a verse, and you'll say, man, this is a preaching verse, I know it. It says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. <laughs> what a statement. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah says to God, I am vowed a prophet. I will do the prophet's job. It is God's choice to save, not mine. His will is broke. And if you think about a two-year-old, you can get him to this next point where he's going to do what you told him to do. They'll do it. You can, you can break him to that point. You, God will get his will done. You can get your will done. You can, even if it's just forcing him up to somebody and telling him, making sure they're sorry or whatever, saying, saying the words anyway. Verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited up Jonah upon the dry land. Now in chapter 3, we see Jonah hastening to do what he was told to do. Jonah 3.1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of 
How many days journey? Three days journey. And Jonah began to enter in the city. How long? A day's journey. Uh, he was double timing it. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, let neither man, and, and you pick up things that you never saw before, that make you wonder, nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And my guess is God made it probably clear before Jonah got there what he was going to do to them. They were probably fearful. And then here comes this guy. I don't know what you look like after you come out of a fish's belly for three days, but probably pretty, pretty horrid sight. And that guy screaming, telling him to repent. Now chapter four, though, reveals the heart of Jonah. It is pretty much, he says, I did what you told me to do, God. I paid my vows, but I don't have to like it. Sounds like it to you. I don't have to like it. God will get his will done. We can do it the easy way, or the hard way. But our attitude and bitterness is only solvable by our choice. God ends his dealings with Jonah by setting Jonah up with another storm, a different kind of storm, that will conclude with three penetrating questions. Every statement from God to Jonah in this chapter is in the form, <laughs> just like God, of a question. Jonah 4.1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. <laughs> for it is better for me to die than to live. And here's a question to Jonah, the first question. And you know, it's a question we need to answer for ourselves at times. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went up out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it, under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah. He's preparing another storm for Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die. 
and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, Jonah might have had a forehead like me. <laughs> might have been pretty rough, and he just wanted to die. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Doesn't that sound like a two-year-old? I, I did what you told me to do, but I don't have to like it. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? I mean, these were little ones, even children. I believe he was saying, oh, you know, there is children out here, innocent ones. Just brought up, and you don't care for them. And he says, and also much cattle. <laughs> That's another one of those. So, hmm, you know, cattle is probably pretty important. Maybe there was a big need for that, and, and you know, you don't want to lose the cattle. Now, the book of Jonah does not have an ending, it is open ended. What would Jonah's answer be to God? Would he repent of his sore attitude? and live or would he stay angry be bitter in life and live miserably God gives Jonah the pen for him to write the ending of that book I'm not sure exactly what the ending is you know God gives us a pen we can write it ourselves it's in our heart he challenges us he questions us but let us move quickly to the second storm in our message in Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 38. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 38. In this passage, we will move past God working on us to God working in us. Mark 4, beginning in verse 35, it says, In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. In this boat story, Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. When we are in a storm of life, even though we know Jesus is there because he said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee, we can tend to waver in our faith. It's interesting that the verse after our text in James 1 makes this statement. James 1.6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. It so happens in this boat story, the disciples will find themselves in a literal situation of being tossed around by the waves of the sea. And of all things, it will be because of their lack of faith. Verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full and he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Here the faith of the disciples are tested. And may I remind you of the word of God given to them at the beginning of the journey. Now listen, this is the word of God at the beginning of the journey. And the same day, in verse 35, when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. 
They had the word of God. They're going over the other side. There was nothing for them to worry about. Jesus told them up front that they would pass over to the other side. They had God's word on it, but everything they saw with their eyes seemed contrary to what Jesus said. They even questioned whether Jesus cared or not. God's bringing them through a storm. It's a good storm for them. Many times in the storms of life, we foolishly question whether God cares in the storm. Verse 39, and he rose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. God used this storm and the calming of it not only to show that he cares, but also that he can. He is the master of the storm. He brings the storm, he calms the storm at his will, and he has a purpose in it. Therefore, we can have patience in the storm, folks. That's where he wants to bring us to. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus uses this storm to work in their lives. To work in their life faith. Faith in the Son of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. They had God's word, but they saw things, and they were responding on what they saw and what they felt instead of relying on what God said. Did they go back and say, Now what did he say at the beginning? No, man, they were lost in the emotions of it. God desires to use storms in our life to increase our faith in the storm. If God says it, we can trust it regardless of the things we see with our eyes. God is looking for us to trust him. Our individual strength in the storm is no greater than the heathens. But we have something that the heathen does not have. A peace that passeth all understanding. But it's only appropriated or brought into us by faith. Now this brings us to the final storm of our message. We have moved from God working on us and God working in us to a storm where we're God works through us. God works through us. Acts chapter 27. As we begin reading here, you, I'll challenge you to read the last chapters of Acts it, actually before this there's some things that happen that lead to this and lead through here but it's interesting this is the last portion of Acts in Acts 27 1 it says and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius a centurion of Augustus band Paul was going to Rome. He appealed unto Caesar, and they were taking him. And entering into a ship of Adramatium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristocrus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends and refresh himself. 
And when he had launched from thence, we sailed under, under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed over the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snittus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens. I huh. wonder if that's where uh, that name came from at Bible school. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage, not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. If by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after that arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. I guess they named storms back then, too. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. I mean, this is kind of man stuff here, and we let her drive. And, and running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighted the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun, now this, boy, when you read this, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, <laughs> and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. I told you so. Paul had some boldness. He had God's word. And have not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. He's got God's word. God, oh, oh man, these are some bad circumstances. I dare say none of us have ever been any close to something like this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. It's going to happen. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And I highlighted verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. <laughs> be of good cheer in this storm. This is a good thing. For I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told unto me. Now you can read the rest of the final chapters in Acts to get the rest of the story. And I hope you do. 
but you will see a man who God was able to use mightily through the storms of life. Number one, God sends storms into our lives to straighten out our attitudes. Sometimes we keep taking that test and retake and retake and retake and retake. He works on us and he lets us feel what it's like outside the boat, in the water, with the waves over you. Jonah said his life, what hell felt like. What it feels like to be out of the will of God. What it feels like to be entangled with the devil in the depths of hell. The prodigal son bore his wrong attitude the same way. But God loves us enough to not let us have our way. Moms, dads, don't let them have their way. Love them enough. His will will be accomplished in us, but our attitude is not something he will change. But he will leave us with a sobering question to penetrate our heart. And with it, it is our choice. Do us well to be angry at the will of God. You know, I remember my mom. You guys will remember stuff from your parents that you'll never forget in your life. And I'd be angry about something. And my mom would say, Tim, life is what you make it. You know, I mean, I get hammered. You know, I remember those words. And there's a lot of truth in that. But God also sends storms in our lives to build our faith. Think of those people who got to see God just speak a word. And he's going, and let me tell you, if you've had, if you've got your eyes open at any point in your life, if you can see, God does miraculous things. He wants to build our faith. He shows us he cares and he can. His word is to be counted on, to be trusted, despite how we may feel or how things appear. And thirdly, he brings storms in our life to be used so we can be used by him. He works through us. So on us, in us, and through us. He throws us out of the boat to work on us. He abides in the boat to work in us so that he may be able to break our boat. So that it can work through us. Folks, it's in the broken boat where God uses us. When we view the storms of life as enemies to battle or to conquer, we live in a fairy tale life. A life that's going to be full of disappointment, a life of discontentment, a life of searching and never finding. But when we look at storms as opportunities to learn and grow by, when we learn to be patient through them and see the God in them, this is when we count them all joy. We are on our way to a purposeful, peaceful, and fully satisfied life in the midst of a world that seeks to bring, seeks to bring discouragement and security and wantonness. James 1.1. 1, 1. Let's read it again. James, a servant of God <clears throat> and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience 
Let patience have her perfect work. Don't keep fighting with it. That you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Does that describe you today? If any of you lack wisdom, you don't understand what's going on through this situation, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. There's your faith. God promises to let you know what's going on in this storm. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I'll give you a few examples of storms in the Bible. One I thought of the three Hebrew children. Do you think they were in a trial? A furnace heated seven times that killed the men because they were just too close to it? Being thrown in and they stand up very respectfully. They say, oh, king, you know, we're not going to bow down to you no matter what. Our God's able to take us out. He's able to deliver us, but if not, so be it. They were perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It didn't matter. They knew God would take them one way or the other. It's just that kind of peace in life. Daniel, did he stop praying when the edict came up and he's going to be thrown into a lion's den? No. He's a perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And may I remind you of David, who had to go through a pretty difficult storm before he became king. And he ran and he was challenged. Great storms of life. He allowed those storms. He didn't go around them. He went through them. And God had to teach him some things. So that he could be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. So as the pianist comes to play with heads bowed and eyes closed. <coughs> you know, salvation is the same way. We got to come to the end of ourselves. God has to show us we're not worthy. There's nothing in us that we can do. It's all of Him. And that's how we come to Him. And then He works in us and desires to work through us. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, that's where it all starts. This, this message is about those who are saved. There'll be people that come to God in the end. It's in the scripture. It says, I've done all these things for you. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So it starts with salvation. It starts with giving your whole life to him. And just giving it to him. Then he's going to take you on some boat rides. No, it's not smooth sailing when you get saved. Actually, it's quite different. It's rough sailing, but it's good sailing. It's good storms because God wants to teach us things. I guarantee all of us here are kind of whiners to some extent, going through things. We get mad and upset. We keep taking the same test over and over and over and over again, and you know you're not right. You don't feel right. You know it's not the right feeling. You're kind of like 
Jonah, ask God, what is it? How do I pass this test and move on? Help us to see the greatness of God in our lives and what he's done for us. And trust him, trust him at his word. That he may work through us. Amen. It's just another message of what we think, how to do things, but how God says he does things. And uh, it's tremendous. What a wonderful God we have. Thank you all for coming. Pray for those who weren't able to be here. Just a lot of sickness going on. Uh, pray for the church and that uh, we make good decisions moving forward. And um, pray for the home uh, this afternoon. That would be a blessing to them. Pray for Andy as he brings a message uh, there. And that they'd be encouraged in the Lord. And that they would encourage us. All right. Tim Reader, would you close us in order?